stay tuned for the Renewable Energy Hour. Good evening, Mendonesia. This is the Renewable Energy Hour. I'm Doug Livingston, and with me as usual is my co-host, Alex Aragon. Hello, Alex. How are you tonight? Hey, Doug. I'm okay. You're okay? That didn't sound very enthusiastic. I'm not very enthusiastic. You've been busy. The world is being traumatic. News is being traumatic. Well, you wanted to start off with some Supreme Court news tonight. Yeah, the Supreme Court has been so full of fun lately. Um, but touching on what we what we do and what we're interested here at the Renewable Energy Hour uh, is the ruling of the West Virginia versus the EPA. Um, the Supreme Court basically uh, hamstrung the EPA. Uh, there was a rule that said that any 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 regulations or any rules laws that were stated without being really specific what the rules were supposed to enforce uh it could be it could be uh, interpreted by the regulatory agency in this case the epa and they could make the decisions of how rules would be implemented uh well the supreme court made it so that if there's a question as to how the law was written it has to go back to congress congress so, congress has to be more specific Congress has to be specific in everything. Yeah. Well, so, not not in everything. It was only when when it involved sweeping sweeping changes to things. But that's what that's how it is right now. But they're rolling it back more. This is just another step along the way. There's another uh, there's another uh, case that's being slated for October uh, that's going to be against the Clean Water Act. And if uh, they manage to put that through, which they're going to because they have the votes, uh, there's going to be even more uh, regulatory uh, rollback. You know, rollback. Uh, they're looking at taking out about 90% of the protected uh, water areas uh, within the United States will no longer be uh, able to be protected under the Clean Water Act. Um, and this is basically being done in the name of federalism trying to say that states are the ones who are supposed to have the rights to do all this stuff uh, that does not belong under the power of the federal government uh, which you know there, there's some there's some uh, argument for that being right but when you're trying to do something that has a global effect when you're trying to roll back you know global warming when you're trying to protect air that flows over all kinds of states when you're trying to deal with water that flows through different states that has part of the fisheries that feed the world uh, you can't just regulate it by you know ad hoc state by state basis you have some states that you know, when you have different states in this kind of situation you're gonna have states that it's kind of like how uh, how a city or an area can set up uh, incentives for a business to move into town like uh, you know, oh, hey, if Walmart moves into town, we'll, we'll set up all the roads for you, and we'll put you out here with a special tax easement, that sort of thing. Well, different states can can uh, attract different types of businesses by rolling back regulation or, you know, saying we're not going to have these certain rules. We're going to make it really beneficial for you to be here. So, you know, over on the East Coast, where states are smaller and closer together, you, know, you can have clean air rules and uh, laws you know, for water, protecting water and all kinds of things in one state, but right next door, you can have another one that has basically gutted all of its regulation. Um, 
you know, they, they share the same water, they share the same air. So it's it's really uh, it's really gonna make it so it's much harder to uh, do any protections. Um, there are there are still a few uh, things we can do about it. Of course, uh, first and foremost is to uh, encourage people to vote for uh, you know Congress and people who are going to actually be interested in doing something about uh, this kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, well, that's going to be with this current nationwide. With with yeah. this current ruling, the responsibility basically goes back to Congress to to write specifically worded legislation and not broad open-ended legislation and and so all the more reason to get people in congress who who will do that and who will pass and will that there will be enough people to pass either 50 or 60 votes um right so what we have though on the on the right on the Republican side is we have this huge push for federalism, where they are trying to return power to states because basically they can you know leverage different states to act differently and when you do that you give huge advantage to business who wants to pick and choose what states rules they're going to operate in. So within this federalism that the GOP is putting out there, they're making it so that they will not have an interest in enforcing federal rules so they won't be interested in having rules that affect the entire country they're only going to want to put in rules that affect uh, state by state so it's going to be a long hard push i really think this is a major change that's going to last for generations i'm really pessimistic about it and it's I'm really unfortunate but um but i'm really reading the tea leaves here and seeing uh seeing some dark days ahead for you know, the green movement, uh, the, the kind of way we can still fight, there are, uh, you know, if a business, uh, for instance, a business can be pressured by uh, by uh, its customers. And so like uh, Facebook, for instance, if you wanted to push on Facebook and say, hey, use renewable energy, uh, they actually have uh, uh, cases where they're looking for places to put their data farms and they want to put them in states that are using cleaner, you know, power. Uh, mixes so you know if you have if you have that kind of uh, business that you can pressure and it can choose where it's going to set up some of this infrastructure you can pressure it to, to set up its infrastructure in a green state um, the other things uh, the other things you can do with this are to uh, <laughs> I lost my train of thought right there <laughs> sorry <laughs> but uh, it, it happens to know. all of I'm us. I'm feeling really pessimistic about all this right now. It's really sad to me. Well, it does seem like a very activist Supreme Court that is throwing all caution to the wind. And, uh, you know, acting uh, in ways that their, uh, their testimony during their confirmation hearings did not seem like it would be going quite this far this fast. Yeah. Oh, the other thing I was going to say is... Uh, how uh, another part is you can legislate within a state. So, like California can have its own specific rules for vehicles and such. Well, uh, no, there there are some federal restrictions on that. They've gotten special allowances from the feds to be able to do that, and Trump took them away. <laughs> yeah, well, there are there are still cases in which California can have its own mm-hmm. rules. Well, some they, cases they did get them. They did get them reinstated, and. Uh, well, that, that's and because under federalism, states are supposed to be able to do that. 
So with this push for federalism, having states' rights be able to push those particular rules, California should be able to create its own rules. And because it's a large market for most manufacturers and sellers, if people want to be able to sell stuff to California, they'll have to be able to meet those California standards. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything they sell to other states will also be California-ready, but it's going to make it so that there's definitely a push that if you're going to live in California, you might pay a premium, uh, like we do for gas and other such things. Well, that's, that's one, one way California can exert its size muscle and counteract the fact that each vote in California is what, you know, one one hundred thousandth as powerful in Senate as Wyoming voters. Right. You know, although California has nearly one eighth of the population of the United States, almost one in eight Americans live in California. Wow. So I but, don't see but, but we much get, problem with California having a lot of influence. But we get one in fifty senators. <laughs> right. <laughs> now that's that's something that we're stuck with because of the compromises in the late 1700s in the constitution it is not a democracy in that sense no it really it truly is not it's really really set up to be you know the republic and uh with the way that the Federalists are uh, pushing things to take power away from the federal government and regulatory agencies, um, we're going to have very little power to uh, to encourage uh, you know environmental protections across the country. If uh, Indiana you know, wants to be able to do something different, they can do it. If uh, you know Ohio wants to do something different, they can do it. And a lot of times, they're going to base that upon what's profitable. And who's got money to push to their politicians? Yeah, it's like gas companies in each state are going to have more power than they already well, do. That's because of previous uh, Supreme Court rulings that have opened the money coffers for politicians. Take yeah, free speech. Money is free speech. <laughs> money is speech, right? Uh, well, shall we talk about I, something a little more cheery? Sure, let's talk about something cheery. I'd love to hear some uh, callers well, later. I, 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 I'm let's bring up some cheery. You're, you're finally bringing me around to lithium-ion uh, batteries. It's about time. <laughs> well, they were so expensive, and they had not been in the field very long, and I'd seen so many new chemistries crash and burn and not fulfill their manufacturer's promises. And, and I think there's still room for that possibility with lithium-ion, but... Uh, but, yeah, I'm definitely much more comfortable now than I was, you know, just a year or two ago uh, with lithium-ion batteries. And uh, I'm encountering more and more people who are, you know, coming to the end of their 5 or 10 year or 20 year lead-acid battery life. And they're thinking, ah, should I be going to lithium-ion? And uh, so... What I'd sort of like to grill you on, since you know the lithium-ion batteries and you know a lot of the different off-grid equipment that's been out there for a while, what sort of equipment is just a no-go to mate up with lithium-ion? What's What kind of works and what you have to be careful about and and what brands and models are, are really fairly ideal for lithium-ion? And does it matter from one brand of lithium-ion to another? That's a long list of questions. 
That's a long list of questions, but it's common considerations when you're looking at uh, retrofitting. Um, there's there's a couple. Okay, first off, let's let's go ahead and line out that uh, when we're talking about lithiums, I'm specifically in support of lithium iron phosphate. I'll give you a thumbs up on that. I'm not a fan of the heavy cobalt chemistries, uh, the power wall, for example. Although he, old Elon Musk, promised us he was getting out of the cobalt, but not there yet yeah so the lithium iron phosphate are either referred to as lfp or l-i-f-e-p-o-4 specifically uh batteries those are the ones that i support and those are good uh they the main reason they didn't get the initial uh enthusiasm behind them is because they're a little bit heavier than lithium cobalt batteries and uh, their power density, is, so basically, for the same capacity, it's a little bit heavier. It's it's like ten percent heavier. Yeah, it's still a, it's still a quarter of the weight of the lead acids you're replacing. Yeah, it's it's a big deal for a car, and yeah, you know, if you're looking at laptops and everybody wants to get theirs lighter, that was where the big deal came in. Cordless drills and cars and. Yeah, but even as far as longevity goes, it seems like they're doing well or better than a lot of the other types of lithium chemistries. So they really are a good fit for uh, for uh, home power systems. Um, the important things with the lithium batteries, though, uh, are the their charging needs to be really controlled so that it does not exceed uh, the maximum input voltages. Uh, there are there are internal BMS battery management systems built into all the um, you know name brand and higher end uh, lithium batteries uh, that basically is designed to protect them but it's kind of like a it's kind of like a safety valve it's not really you're not supposed to rely on that to properly charge your battery so what you need to be able to do is you need to be able to throttle down how much power is going into your batteries at specific voltages and that's how charge controllers are supposed to work but lead acid batteries are more forgiving and they can handle you know a little bit sloppier power so if you're looking for if you're looking to upgrade an old system if if you have like an old trace system if it actually still says trace on it (laughs) i do green ones you can make those work but it requires attention uh like if you have a trace SW system, uh, it's an older inverter. It was really the first big sine wave inverter that uh, and Nick was able to run large houses or you know like uh, four thousand to five fifty five hundred watts with with sophisticated programming. It was really the first one that you could program all kinds of different variables. Yeah, those are nice, but the main problem with those when it comes to lithium batteries is that if they ever shut off, if those inverters ever shut off, they lose their programming. <laughs> And then you no longer have the proper settings to protect your lithium batteries. Yeah. That's, so, that's, that's a big caution. Yeah, so you basically have self-destruct sequence. If if it ever if the power ever gets turned off to those inverters, they lose their settings, and you don't correct the settings, there's a really good chance that you're first going to uh, blow, the, um, <laughs> blow the warranty on your batteries, and next you're going to blow your batteries. Uh, these lithium batteries that are name brand that come with the built-in BMS systems, they are very good at recording exactly what the voltage and the current was. 
and what the temperature was. I'm going into these batteries at all times. And the last thing that it will record before it dies is <laughs> is when you exceeded those limits. 58 volts? Oh, no! <laughs> yeah, holy cow. Yeah, so, I remember I remember seeing that on uh, on early direct grid tie inverters that people were wiring high voltage strings to feed without battery banks and and their cautions that you know if you go above this voltage it will kill the inverter and that is not a warranty covered problem and in fact the last thing the inverter will do will record that high <laughs> dc voltage it will tell on you <laughs> it will tell on you when you send it in for a warranty covered repair they'll send back to you saying nope not warranty covered <laughs> you will say he did this to me you did this to me um, but uh, almost all modern inverters, you know, the last 20 years anyhow, have non-volatile memory, so the programming doesn't disappear. Right, the programming doesn't disappear. So that's, that's just a heads up to those, to those old Trace SW owners out there like me. <coughs> Excuse me, the same goes for the uh, old charge controllers as well. Um, a lot of a lot of the old charge controllers, you could set the voltages. Uh, you could set the voltages for decent uh, for decent uh, you know air ranges for what the lithium batteries want to take. So it kind of seems, oh, maybe this will work. But uh, some of those older charge controllers do not regulate the voltage very well. They regulate it fine for lead acid, but you know lead acid can take a whole bunch of current briefly and you know, let the voltage spike a little bit it's not going to take any life out of them uh, but those old charge controllers uh, anything PWM anything pulse width modulation uh, you just don't do uh, most of them do not have adjustments to how long they can uh, they can do a absorption uh, time yeah they can do an absorption time they're mostly set at two hours or some uh, some even some early uh maximum power point charge controllers don't have the ability for you to change their uh, absorption time some of them will have some algorithm where when the uh, it depends on how deeply discharged the battery was will adjust how long it absorbs for there's some uh, TriStar uh, Morningstar uh, charge okay. controllers that are maximum power point that don't do that okay so you'd be nervous about the TriStar maximum power point and any pulse width modulation one, which would include the C yeah. series from Trace and Xantrex, and which are a lot of those out in the field still. Yeah, uh -huh. if you have a TriStar Morningstar uh, charge controller that is uh, MPPT maximum power point tracking, there are ways that you can program it. You have to get a special dongle that you can hook into your computer and use an app, and you can program it accordingly. But you cannot program it just using the dip switches. Okay. Uh, so if you aren't going to get technical with that charge controller and it's a TriStar, don't use it for lithium batteries. <clears throat> um, well, yeah, and but as expensive as lithium batteries are, it's probably time to upgrade your charge controller. Yeah, let's hope. Uh, but the thing that does happen, I've seen, is there are a lot of people who are shoestring budgeting it, and now they have to replace their batteries, and they're making a stretch trying to get those just lithiums. The, just the batteries, yes. And so a lot of times it comes down to, well, I can't really afford to do the whole upgrade, so I'm just going to go with lead acid again. 
I've seen that happen several times. In fact, since lithiums have been available, I've had it happen to a couple different people who bought their last set of uh, lead acid, and now they're trying to decide if they're going to get their next last set of lead acid. <laughs> so it's kind of unfortunate. Um, if you do have a, if you do have some older equipment though, and it can be programmed uh, to within the specs, basically, uh, if you have a 48 volt system. You want to make sure that you can program it down to uh, below 56 volts uh, for the maximum charging voltage, and you want to be able to run the uh, the uh, absorption time down to 10 minutes or less. Yeah, near zero. Zero, if possible. Yeah, 10 minutes works. If you have like you know, if you have like one tenth of an hour, you can do six minutes kind of thing. That can work also. Uh, there are some uh, caveats with that, but. Basically, the, most of those can be made to work. What are the caveats? Uh, well, if you have a really big charging system, like if you have a big array compared to the size of your uh, battery, uh, then some, it could be possible that that extra 10 minutes is too much. Okay. It could make the voltage spike during that 10 minutes. But if you've got but a modest you, array, that's probably not too horrible to stay in absorption for 10 minutes. Yeah, if, if you have an array that's like, less than uh, 20% of your battery capacity, you're not going to have that problem at all. If you start to get up to 50%, then you, you can spark, the voltage can spike pretty quick. Uh, yeah. If you, you know, worst case scenario, you could be like 98% full, almost full, and then a cloud comes in front of the sun, and it kind of trickles in there for a little while. And then all of a sudden, the sun clears out, and you get this huge edge of cloud effect and a big spike of power, and suddenly it hits the battery, and it makes the voltage spike, but it takes six minutes or ten minutes for the charge controller to throttle it down. That, that can be too much. So my, my rule here is just don't push it. <laughs> you know, make sure you don't make it a, it's okay as long as this doesn't happen, because... Worst case scenario will someday happen. I uh, just had somebody blow out a uh, Outback charge controller. They put in uh, three panels in series that were uh, 48, 48.2 volts or something like that. And then the cold weather we had just recently with the uh, edge of cloud effect. Got it over 150 volt. volts. Yeah. Went I, up to 153 blew out the charge controller. Yeah, I, I just had uh, that realization that the modern 72 cell quote unquote panels all have voltages that are way higher than the 72 cells from, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And you could reliably put three 72-cell modules in series and not go over that 150-volt limit that was common in a bunch of those charge controllers, uh, even in cold, cold weather. Um, and I looked at this one, and it's... It's non-temperature corrected. Its standard test condition voltage was over 50 volts. Holy cow. And I said, oh, my goodness. Wait a minute, Fred. You can't use that charge controller. we got to do a, a midnight classic 200 volt. All right. Or you can use that charge controller if you take it down to two panels per string. Yeah. Well, the problem was he was trying to match an existing string. His charge controller wasn't yeah. fully loaded, and and he wanted a little more power. And I said, ah, I get three 72-cell panels, which is what he did. And I looked at the specs and said, oops. Yeah. No. Well, fortunately, he was already to buy a new larger charge controller. He didn't, he didn't want to retrench and put in another combiner box and all that sort of stuff. So he's just going to upgrade from his 60-amp to an 80-amp charge controller. And 
Yeah, so a couple more considerations uh, about the lithiums is uh, if you do have an older system, uh, there are batteries that, uh, like, like, like the Simplify non-networked battery. Uh, I'm really fond of that one for retrofit because it's not designed to network with the inverter. It's designed to do its own thing, basically act as a receiver for the power that you're giving to it. Uh, there's a lot of batteries now that do need to network with the inverter system. In fact, there's some, you got to read the fine print, but there's some battery manufacturers who will not warranty their battery unless it's able to network with the power system. Uh, to be able to network with the power system, they have to be able to plug into each other with a Cat5 cable, typically, and they have to be able to speak the same language. So either it has to be a battery that has been approved to be used with different inverters or vice versa, you know, make sure they have a handshake between them, um, that they can actually speak to each other. And then you have to program them to operate uh, and speak to each other. In some cases, that's the only way you can get the warranty and that's the only way you can really get them to have the proper charging. Um, that's called closed loop charging, uh, networked charging. Uh, there's also the open loop version, which is what I was talking about with the old simplifies, dropping them into an old retrofit system. Um, so you really got to pay attention to what you need for your for your specific battery just you know if you if you get a lithium battery with a nice warranty read that warranty what they want to what they what their rules are what they have a lot of times there's going to be temperature uh, rules you know you have to stay within certain temperatures so you can't have these batteries sitting in an unheated place in some cases uh some places if if it goes down below 32 degrees fahrenheit you've voided your warranty uh, so, you know, make sure you, you have all those little I's dotted and T's crossed about it. Uh, network systems are very nice. Uh, if you have a Outback system, for instance, there's going to be, you know, either one or a couple inverters, uh, maybe one or more uh, charge controllers. Those uh, charge controllers, when they're charging lead-acid batteries, once again, lead-acid is more forgiving. It doesn't really care if the charge controllers are feeding the power at different rates at different uh, different times. One could be in absorb, another one's in float. Uh, with uh, lithium batteries, if you have if you have one that's if you ideally you're going to have them so they're all going into changing their state at the same time. So if they're networked, you can make it so that you can have all the battery, all the charge controllers in absorb. And then have them all change to float at the same time, and then when they're done, they're all curtail. If you don't, it's okay if, if you aren't pushing those limits really tight again. Like Once again, if you're only having about a 20% charge rate going to the batteries, they can handle some of that extra you know, switching about. But if you're, if you're really wanting to get the best efficiency, the most performance out of your system, having them be networked so they, they operate as, a, as one piece together is just really key. So, uh, so if you had a bunch of old Outback equipment and we're contemplating upgrading to lithium-ion batteries, you'd, you'd be leaning toward the Simplify? Yes, I would be in that case. The Simplify or something else is and, not an open loop. And haven't they made a fair amount of changes in their software so that they're a little bit more lithium-ion ready now? Yeah, the newer ones that are coming out. Um, I've had uh, one... Uh, I remember working with a client where he had some older models of FX and and charge controllers and inverters and and they didn't shut down fast enough for simplify to be happy with and 
Yeah. You couldn't, you couldn't. Yeah. One of the things that uh, Simplify has done uh, from when they first started coming out to this market, they were, uh, they had higher charge uh, voltage settings. And since then, they've lowered them. Uh, I've been watching a bunch of uh, lithium batteries charging, and if you're looking at a 48 volt system, uh, as the voltage rises in the lithium batteries, it gets up to like 54, 54.5 kind of range, 54.6, and it'll charge there for a long time. You can go from, uh, you know, from like 50% up to like 90% right in that range, and then it starts to climb really little bit at a time up into the, like 95% range. Uh, it'll get up to like, you know, basically once it hits about 55, 55 volts, that's when it's really starting to get full. Now, the nice thing about lithiums is you don't need to get them 100% full every time. In fact, it's not good for them to get them 100% full. It's, it stresses them out. It's, it's more... <laughs> Unlike lead acid. Right, not like lead acid. Lead acid needs that. Lithiums don't need to get 100% full. So basically by lowering those charge settings to the 50... Alex, we 5.4 in some cases. Different, different batteries, you're still specking them a little differently. So, something's happening with your, is, your microphone. You've uh, been they really have, you've been dropping in and out. Oops. Oh, that was just, that's Skype doing it. I'm, oh, I'm, Skype I'm, is. I'm okay. stable here. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, the voltage, though, with when you're charging the lithium batteries, it it rises really slowly, really super slowly, all the way up into the upper 90%. And then when they get full, it spikes. And it, if you were going by the original voltage specs that Simplify was putting out there, they were wanting to get it all the way up to, like, 56, uh, you know, like, uh, up to... Even 57.6 was one of their first uh, bulletins, which is getting right up near their maximum, uh, you know, allowable voltage. But if you, if you keep it down around 55 volts, you can withstand some extra spikes those old charge controllers can put in, uh, because basically you haven't pushed it all the way up to that upper limit. So... The, the better your equipment is, the harder you can push it. <laughs> if you get some older stuff, try to leave some some slop in there. Try to make it so you, you're not pushing it quite so hard. You don't need to get it to 100%. Uh, keep the voltage a little bit lower. So, uh, in terms of uh, networking batteries, what what inverter and charge controller equipment can network with N or many well, lithium ion brands. I'll, I'll, I'll just name off a couple of the ones I'm really uh, having fun with. Uh, well, <laughs> I've been working with uh, Schneider, the brand that took over for Xantrex, took over from Trace. Uh, they they network really well with uh, with Discover batteries. Basically, once you've networked them, the built-in BMS on the batteries, the battery management system on the batteries, becomes the battery monitor for the system and it actually shows up on their uh on their control panels and you can look at the battery percent there so it really networks well um and and it, better those it controls the the charging parameters and the discharge parameters yeah. of the inverter and the charge controllers Yes, you actually uh, get them plugged in and network together and uh, they take over all the settings 
In fact, on my father-in-law's, I watched it actually adjust them. Yes, yes. They changed in time. The 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 settings two weeks into the system being up and running, uh, the the program settings that the battery management system put into the Schneider equipment actually toned back by a couple tenths of a volt. <laughs> yeah, that's been interesting to see. The first couple times I set them up, I was I was reading the uh, the documents that said what the what the allowable you know. Uh, settings were and then i programmed those into the system before i networked them and then i plugged in the network and it overrode all my settings i was like oh no those settings are they're bad now and when i first looked at them they were out of spec for what they should have been but what it was it was the batteries taking over and actually telling the system what what the batteries wanted to do and uh took a little leap of faith to to back off and let it do that the one thing i don't like about those uh about the uh the Schneider system uh, is that you tend to have a lot of network connections, uh, like a system that has two inverters and three charge controllers. Right there, you have five pieces, and you have the control panel, six pieces. You have the, the automatic generator start, you know, seven pieces. The batteries. Batteries, eight pieces. Uh, and then you have like a gateway, nine pieces, all of the system. Oh, and but you don't, one of those you don't need the gateway. What's up? You don't need the gateway. Uh, yeah, you're better off if you uh, use it to program, but you don't have to keep it in. Uh, well, take it out, but still, the, that's, that's the, a lot the, of... The, the Discover batteries can talk straight to the Schneider. The gateway is just a way of translating to brands that don't speak its language, isn't it? It's actually a way that you can uh, have it... <laughs> have you have you set up a Schneider system by hooking it to your laptop through a gateway? No. It's, it's so it's so much more information and so much you get so much better view of what's going on with it cool all uh, right all right it's really, it's really amazing <laughs> it's uh kind of like having a electric car and deciding you're not going to use the monitoring that's in it or something <laughs> no, i don't want to use the maps i'm going to use my old fold-out map so all right we've got you into the 20th century now here so. <laughs> 21st next 19th right? century <laughs> yeah so keep moving forward uh but, the, yeah, the problem I have with, with uh, a whole lot of different pieces like the Schneider systems that they can lose communication with each other just by having bad Cat5 cables. And that's true of any system that's networked. That a rodent those. or something. But when you have a whole lot of different uh, connections, it makes it so that a charge controller can lose connection with the batteries. A rogue battery. charge controller. Well, yeah. And so suddenly you have something that has wild settings that aren't necessarily what you're counting on them to be. So what's um, your solution for that? Well, definitely use uh, use the you know special grease. Uh, uh, yeah, the the dielectric grease dielectric on the on grease the plugs. Yeah, make sure they're nice and protected. Keep an eye on them. Don't let them get dirty. Uh, if you happen to see gunge building up in your power room stuff, you know. Keep, try to try to protect it a little bit better. Keep the rodents out. Yeah, definitely keep the. Oh, good God, <laughs> I've seen so many uh, chewed wires over the years from those. Um, I, I, had a, I had a client in Hawaii who returned his uh, first generation SW inverter under warranty. It was that long ago, wow. uh, and uh, that had spontaneously failed, and 
they sent him pictures of the uh, dehydrated gecko and gecko egg mass <laughs> on the circuit boards inside the inverter and said, you know, you needed to put that little grill back on the side that you must have left off when you were wiring it. Absolutely. Put all put all the uh, all the knockout plugs in too for crying out loud. Well, we've got other things we could talk about along these lines, but I imagine there may be a number of old school off grid people who've been thinking along these terms and may have specific questions for us. Uh, so I'd like to open up the phone lines for people to call in with questions or experiences they've had along these lines, or or other renewable energy related topics. Maybe you want to talk about uh. The, the Supreme Court. Anyhow, it's uh, the Philo Studios here at 707-895-2448. And we've, got, we've already got calls coming in, so let's go right to them. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hey, uh, gentlemen. I've been really enjoying listening to the show. Uh, but I have one odd question. And um, I'm, uh, I, I use, um, I think they're called AGM-type batteries. Mm-hmm. Absorption glass mat. It's a sealed lead right. acid type. And I use them for gates and a couple other applications. And I had one 100-amp-hour uh, unit that wasn't quite supplying, so I bought another one. And I, I didn't want to put the two together because I didn't know what they would do. Can I put the two together? Or would they equalize or do something weird? Um, they... Well, how old is the first one? Uh, maybe about three years. Uh, uh, the, the problem is that that they're no longer the same size. And, the companies uh, have changed things? Well, no. The the capacity of your old one has decreased. Oh, right. And, right, right. Sure. And, that's, uh, that's the whole issue. Yeah. And so when you're... You would normally be paralleling them together, and that would mean that they would sure. charge together and discharge together, but since one has more capacity than the other, the... Uh, uh, it tends to wear them both out a little prematurely. It'll work. Okay. But, but that's the question I had. I didn't want. I wanted my client to have the best. Um, what do you call it? The best performance out of the battery. So I was thinking about just uh, giving them a discount on the other battery and using it my, for my own purposes. Sure. And, uh, sure. That that, amp that that that's yep. a good call. That's good customer service. Uh, yeah. The, okay. the other thing you should be worried about when you connect two batteries of slightly different histories is that their charge levels should be about the same when you parallel them together. If if one is 50% charged and the other is 90% charged, oh, you can get a pretty serious uh, spark when oh. you make that parallel and connection. Okay, cool. And, and, and just a tidbit, you can't avoid that spark. It's just you can avoid it being a really big spark. Big, um, big spark. I get but, it, yeah. But, but, but when you are paralleling batteries together like that, I like to touch the cable to the lead post and not the screw the first once to get rid of that difference before I touch it to the screw because the spark can actually screw up the threads on the screw. Oh, interesting. Huh. Okay. I think they are you okay I get what you're saying don't don't mess with the screw part. I get it cool cuz yeah. it's an arc yeah yeah okay. and by touching the lead post you can equalize the charges in the batteries fairly fairly quickly and and uh avoid a big spark when you touch it to the screw Oh great thank you I I I didn't I was hesitant to call before because I didn't want to interrupt your flow cuz you had such an interesting discussion going on about these different devices and the also the, the lithium batteries which is uh, definitely the way to go, for sure. 
So thank you so much for your show. I'm always enjoying it. Hey, you're enjoying very it. welcome. Thanks for the call. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So 895 God, there was another question I had for you, Alex. Um, so, so you mentioned the Discover and Schneider work well together. Are there other pairs of uh, lithium, well, lithium iron right phosphate now. brands? And uh, My favorite right now? Is uh, doing Fortress batteries with Solark converters. Fortress and Solark. I haven't worked with uh, Fortress. I've looked at the Solarks, but uh, why yes. is why is Fortress work so well specifically with Solark? Well, they've made them. Uh, they've made them really work together. They've really uh, they've really networked the two companies together. Mm-hmm. But uh, a Fortress battery, you can get an eighteen point five kilowatt hour battery, and you can put it into a. Uh, a solar arc 12k inverter it's basically an eight kilowatt inverter that's a really good uh size um for them basically the charger in the uh in the um solar arc you know it's an eight kilowatt charger feeding into an 18.5 kilowatt hour battery you can do a complete charge in it for you know the range you use in two hours uh so if you if you wanted to charge your battery from that that, you know, that seems that seems so wasteful if uh if you've got a whole day of sun. Well, it would be. So the nice thing about solar arc batteries, or solar arc inverters, is that you can program how full the generator will get the battery to go. Oh, you're talking generator, not solar. Right. Well, I'm talking about how you can have it so that if you're, like, say it's 7 in the morning and your generator kicks on, you can make it so that if the generator kicks on in the morning at 7 o'clock, it will only charge the batteries up to maybe 60%. So that you still have forty percent of your battery remaining that can be filled by the sun. It's got a real granular ability to program uh, how you can use it. So I've got a really large system that's able to turn on the generator, run it for an hour and about fifteen minutes, and put in forty percent of the battery capacity. Uh, and so I have it so that if if it's you know the time of day when the sun's getting ready to come up, it only charges it sixty percent. If it happens like if the generator wants to run. <coughs> If it gets called to run at like seven in the evening, then there's probably a, it makes more sense for it to be able to go up to seventy or eighty percent full. It's going to have the whole night to go before the sun comes up the next day. So you really get to program some you know some granularity in how it's going to operate and keep the generator runtime down. Uh, make it so that it really uh, it really works well. You can really uh, and you can see. By the charts and graphs that uh, are available with the online app, you can really get some feedback on how how those program settings are working for you. So you can go back and custom tailor them. I can even custom tailor some of my client's stuff sitting here right now if I wanted to while we're talking on the phone, while we're talking on the radio here. I can pull up my phone and adjust, make some adjustments if I need to. Um, that app has different uh, settings available for you know user, manager, and people who are just able to look at it without making settings too. So... It's, it's very handy. Very lots of feedback. You can I'm do sure. some of that stuff with uh, the Outback equipment with the a, a Mate 3S. Yeah, the granularity of it is not really, as good. Yeah, yeah well, the Solar is pretty sophisticated. It's also huge. So most of our uh, retired hippie original off-graders who are looking at an upgrade right now are probably not going to want an eight kilowatt, nine kilowatt inverter. Yeah, that's uh, that's the smallest one they make. Yeah, but remember that's their charger too. So no, the twelve the twelve kilowatt includes the charger. 
Yeah, the smaller the, ones do what, too, but they're not the, a whole lot cheaper. The smallest one they call a 12 kilowatt uh, is actually a 9 kilowatt inverter, and and yeah. the difference is in the charging. Right. Now, you can throttle down that charger to make it operate with a smaller generator, too. So. Oh, you're, you're back to talk. It's I'm, I'm thinking about the solar charger. The the, oh, yeah, the MPPT so, charge controllers that are in there. It's it's all in one. It's got the it's got two strings of MPPT chargers in there. They can have up to twelve kilowatts total. And don't so even need batteries. So it can do grid tie without batteries, and you can drop batteries in later. Yep, it can go all off grid. <laughs> you can uh, parallel them. There's a lot of how many can you parallel together? Uh, I can't remember what the official rule is. I've done I've done four of them. Okay, that's uh, that's huge. That's huge. Yeah, yeah. That's bigger be, than, than most of our listeners are interested in. But yeah, um, and it makes sense in the smaller sizes too. So, so are there are there other brands of uh, equipment you like to work with to made up lithium ion and inverter charge controller world? Uh, well. I've done a lot of hodgepodging with uh, Outbacks and with uh, I've done some stuff with Magnums. I have to say I'm not very happy with Magnum. Yeah, um, they're not quite. Yeah, they're not granular enough. The they're big, they're not granular enough, but also they don't have very good. Uh, they don't have very good uh, controls for uh, their um, for their auto generator starts and for their uh, battery management systems. Their uh, their battery uh, monitor does not work very well with lithium. Now, that's not said that you can't. They didn't work, work very well with lead acid. Yeah, yeah, true <laughs> enough. They have a lot of uh, they have a lot of failure issues in the electronics of them. Um, they're just kind of pain in the neck. But if you're trying to do a bigger system with magnum inverters, you, you can have like four inverters in one system. Uh, they do not work well together. Like you can have it so that you're trying to charge with a lot of current, and maybe only one of them is putting out their full power. And the other ones are, you know, barely doing anything. They just do not network well. Uh, if you really cheaped out, you could you could go with a single magnum inverter. But I, I would say if you want to use one, you might want to keep an eye out for what you're going to use next. All right. Um, now, in terms of, uh, you know, replacing your existing lead acid battery bank, how? What percentage of the capacity of a typical lithium-ion battery do you have your system programmed to use? Do you know, you're going from what, 15% charge to 95% charge, or something in that range. I'm usually keeping 20% be my lower level okay. limit. That way, if something goes wrong with the autogenerator start or something like that, I got a little bit of headroom. I can go down a little bit lower. Okay. And uh, with generators. It's charging. I'm not ever going above 90%. There's no reason to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if the solar is allowed to charge it, well, it can go up to you know what it considers to be 100%. Basically, hit those upper uh, voltage charging limits, and it's considered good. Okay. So I'm using. So about, you're, you're effectively using 80% yeah, of the capacity. So uh, yeah. w- I guess what I was getting at was how somebody would calculate, you know, how big of a battery bank they would need to replace their existing battery bank. Comparing it's, it's apples to half. apples, um, well, I th- I think of cycling. Um, you know, most people off the grid use the rule of thumb of you know not cycling their lead acid batteries, their flooded lead acid batteries, more than fifty percent. You right. follow that rule generally? 
Yeah, I tend to go for about 35% on daily with a maximum of 50. Okay. Yeah, I think in terms of when, usually when I sized it for 50% maximum and several days of autonomy, it usually worked out more like, you know, 20% daily cycling. Um, All right. What I would say, though, with the, with the lithiums, though, is that because it's not, because it doesn't hurt them to cycle hard, you can, uh, if you were to put in a battery thinking, I don't know for sure if I need to go with the next larger size, you could go with a smaller one. And if, if it, your building blocks are set up so that you can you know add to it, like you know have another 50% by adding another battery. If you, if you have two batteries, maybe you want to add a third one. Uh, if you do that within the first year or two, fine, great. Uh, it's okay for those smaller batteries to work hard. It doesn't destroy them. Uh, it's not like lead acid where you're torturing them. They can handle uh, large currents. Uh, so you might just be using your generator more often than you expect to, and you can wait and see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, for, for, then for, for those of you listening, the, the, you know, you're talking, what, they can handle something like five times the sustained current per, it's, per rated it's capacity? Di- it's different by battery manufacturer. Uh, like, that's one thing that's lived that uh, Simplify is not as good as other companies about is that they do not want to have you charge more than uh, 50% rate. A so s- don't try to put more than 50% of the battery capacity to into it in one hour. What they call a C2 rate in other contexts. Right. Discover batteries, they can do a C1. Whereas uh, have- a, a generic rule of thumb for the for lead acids is don't go above a C5 rate, which is, you yeah. know, Charging 20%. 20% of the capacity in, in an hour. And even that's kind of fast for some oh, of them. That's hard, yeah. That'll warm, that'll heat them up. Yeah, so when you, when you have a... When you have... When you're setting up your lithium batteries, you want to consider... Every bit as important to me is considering the charge rate when you're running the generator. Uh, you want to keep your generator runtime down. It reduces maintenance, reduces fuel use, makes everything more reliable. Uh, less noise <laughs> so it's a really good idea to me to have about a 50% uh, charge rate basically have somewhere around twice uh, twice the batteries you have inverter uh, that's, a, that's a good number if you look at um, Fortress's numbers they kind of have interesting uh, numbers because they're warranty you can, you can have uh, different lengths of warranty depending upon how hard you charge them like if you're charging them at over over uh, 60% uh, charge rate, you start to get fewer uh, life cycles out of them uh, by their charts. So, oh, so that, that sounds to me like, you know, you're hammering home a impression I got from Simplify long ago is they're honestly conservative. They are. They are. They did a good job on that. Uh, <clears throat> but some of it is just their, uh, their design, too. They... You know, they have a lot of, uh, if you look at the inside of a simplified battery, uh, they've got a whole bunch of D-cell size cells in them. They're like the size of a D-cell battery, an old flashlight battery. Uh-huh. They have hundreds of them inside of there, and they're actually soldered together. So the electrical connections inside of those batteries aren't quite as robust, so they can't handle as much current. If you look inside of the Discover batteries, they have much, you know, stronger connections between the cells. Um, but... Yeah, they have different radians on how long they're going to last. Uh, 
It's crazy though. Some of the feedback I get from uh, the Solark batteries, uh, the Solark converters, by the way, I get to see how much they actually discharge and recharge on a daily basis. I'm seeing it. A lot of the systems were we were designed so they could do like 50% of the battery's capacity or 40%, you know, half of what's available. We actually have them cycling in the range of 30% of the capacity or less per day. Now, the way the cycle life uh, works. When you have, uh, when you're operating, when you're looking at the cycle life for the warranty, it's based upon 100% cycles or 80% cycles. So if you're using only a 40% cycle, you get to use twice as many cycles total. Uh, probably so even, battery, probably even more. Yeah. So like, if you have 6,000 cycles on a battery, if you're using 80% of its capacity, but you're only using 40% of its capacity instead. That translates to 12,000 cycles. At least. So, yeah. Well, how many years is 12,000 cycles if you're doing one cycle a day? You know, I'm pulling out my calculator because I can't do that in my head. <laughs> so, what's that? 12,000 cycles divided by 365. That's 32.8 years. Well, we, we, now, we have yet to test a- that uh, time frame, but... There's likely going to be some other stresses going on in that time frame, too. But basically, it was like how uh, lead-acid batteries, they had a cycle life to them. But, you know, if, if you baby them, you can get more more life, more cycles out of them. But there comes a time when they age out eventually. Mm-hmm. We don't know what the age out is going to be of, le- of the lithium batteries yet because they haven't been around long enough. Yeah. So by the cycle life, we might be getting 30 years. But by the actual age out you life, know, you know, we don't know yet. All right. Well, we're coming up to the to the top of the hour. Uh, I want to give another prod to any listeners who have questions. Uh, I can imagine there are people scratching their heads, or everybody's turned it off because there's only, there, there's only there's only a hundred off grid listeners out there right now, um, and none of them are in the market for lithium ion. But uh, but feel free to give us a call in this last uh, several minutes eight nine five two four four eight, and uh, I also want to take a moment to uh give people a heads up that right after the show is the uh the native plant society's spot little two-minute spot on the holly leaf red berry which i do not know but right after that there's a special episode of for the love of reading coming on at eight o'clock for all you radiogram fans there's an hour of for the love of reading before radiogram is gonna go on at nine o'clock tonight and uh, I hope you're ready for some banana nana pudding. <laughs> banana <laughs> nana. Banana nana. So I guess what I was getting at before when we were talking about how much you're cycling the relative batteries, if if you had, say, a 1,000 amp hour lead acid battery bank at 48 volts, and you were only cycling okay. 50% of it, you got your calculator out? I got it out. Um, so what do you got? You got 500 amp hours times 48 volts. That would be the usable watt hour capacity. Yep. So that's 2400 watt hour, or 24 kilowatt. 24 kilowatt hours. And, and when you're calculating for the lithium ion, you should take their rated capacity times 0. 0.8, 80% of that as usable to express what their usable capacity is when you're shopping and comparing 
two batteries side by side. Hey, we got a last minute call. Just two minutes left. What's up? Um, I listen to your program regularly, and, and I'm not a, I don't use solar or batteries. And I have to say, when I listen to your conversation, my, I sort of blaze over. <laughs> well, um, we, there, there's a reason and, we call this the geek hour. We alternate with point and click. Yeah, I, I understand. But um, at some point, hopefully, uh, there'll be a plug and play kind of a deal. So those of us who are not horribly into geekiness. Well, on the, on the grid, it's largely already that way. Well, listening to your conversations, I don't, I don't get that feeling. <laughs> Sorry, we we were talk, talking pretty exclusively about off the grid, um, but on the grid, it's it's a lot more plug and play than off the grid. Okay, well, uh-huh. anyway, I'll keep I'll keep listening and I'll and I'll try and stay focused. All right, <laughs> don't glaze over too hard, or my apologies for glazing you over. Thank you. Thanks for the call. Bye bye. All right, uh, we have. Not very much time left. We do have a guest uh, coming up from uh, Sonoma Clean Powers coming on to talk about some in-person and online classes that they offer and are offering coming up. Um, two weeks from now. Two July weeks from 20th. now, July 20th, and to talk about their uh, their resource center down in Sonoma County, which they have a whole bunch of useful information available and basically a little energy efficiency and conservation uh, museum and advice. Yeah, a guest. Yeah, a guest. And, and we won't have to glaze people over. We'll let somebody else glaze people over. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM. KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM. And Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org. And consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.